If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 4. You pray for me tonight, and I'm going to try to get through this. My throat has been locking up. I told Sandra yesterday, I said, tomorrow's a big day at the church with launching one day, and I'm afraid I'm going to wake up in the morning not being able to talk. And so the Lord helped me get through this morning, and I pray that he does this evening, but my throat is, I feel like it's locking down, uh, and I can't quit talking today. I've had to talk so much that it's not had a chance to get a break. And so if y'all pray with me, um, I'm going to try to share with you from Isaiah chapter 4. And it may be shorter than I normally am on a Sunday night. And if that's the case, y'all just go with me and we'll, we'll trust the Lord to take care of the rest of it. Isaiah chapter 4, verse number 1. The Bible says, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel, only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. And verse number one really is a continuation of chapter three. And then verse number two of chapter four, um, chapter three through verse number one of, our, of chapter four, or the, uh, the judgment of God upon Jerusalem and Judah. And then here in chapter 4, verse number 2, we find there is a reversal of the punishment. And so there is a change in the direction of God's relationship with <clears throat> Jerusalem and Judah here in verse number 2. It says, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing. For those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst. By the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from the storm and rain. Here in Isaiah chapter 4, verses number 2 through <coughs> verse number 6, we find that God reverses his judgment and once again turns back his favor upon Judah and Jerusalem, those people who had turned their backs on God. What we find here is a beautiful story of the mercies and the grace of God upon their lives. The truth is today that God does allow judgments to happen to gain our attention. But if you look at even Israel, you find that God allowed them to go into judgment and captivity. But it was always with the purpose, with the intent of bringing them to repentance 
so that he could once again bless them. And what we find, as we looked last week in Isaiah chapter number 3, we find that oftentimes that people turn their backs on God, and just as America today resembles Israel back in Isaiah's day and time, that sin has crept into their hearts just as it has crept into our nation, and we need God to once again revive our land. Just as God turned his favor back upon Israel, we need the favor of God upon our nation. We need the favor of God upon our church, upon our homes, upon our lives. We find in Isaiah that this happened when the children of Judah and Jerusalem had finally came to a place where they humbled themselves before God and recognized their, uh, that they were dependent solely upon him for their riches and blessings. We find that judgment had brought humility to them. And in chapter number 4, we find that God had finally saw them and turned his anger towards favoritism. And he had once again began to renew Jerusalem. In chapter 3 and 2 and 3, we find that really chapters 2, 3, and 4 are all part of the same narrative that we find that uh, Babylon had come in and had ransacked and destroyed Jerusalem. There was great judgment upon them because they had neglected God. But due to their repentance, in verse number 2, it says, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Although this is dealing with that their day and time and Isaiah's and God's favor upon him, there is also a prophetic aspect of this that is looking forward to future events. Look at me to Zechariah chapter 3 and verse number 8. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse number 8. I want to look just momentarily at this branch. I'll be honest with you as we began to read this, my first thought was maybe this is referring to the church because Jesus said, I am the vine and ye are the branches. But this is not referring to the church. In Zechariah chapter number three, verse number eight, tells us exactly who that branch is. The Bible says, Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you. For they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. My servant, the branch. If you look there, you'll find that, that my servant, that word servant is capitalized with a capital S. What does that mean? That means that it is a name. It is a, a title. And so this servant is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the branch. So we go back to Isaiah chapter 4. And we find that the Bible says, in that day, the branch of the Lord, that is the servant of God, Jesus Christ, shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. God is saying, listen through Isaiah, that there will come a day when I will turn my, my judgment away and the... Jesus Christ will be beautiful and glorious, and he will be excellent and appealing to the nation of Israel. We understand that today that is not the case. 
to the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ is nothing amazing or appealing. Rather, he is a person, a name that is detest to them. He was a, a, a false teacher who proclaimed himself to be God. And just as he was mocked and despised in his day and times, the truth is that as a whole, the, the nation of Israel still looks upon Jesus Christ with the same detest today as they did in the time of Christ. Yet the Bible tells us that in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And so this is futuristic. There is coming a time when Jesus Christ will be magnified. Matter of fact, the New Testament tells us that there is a day coming when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be a day when he is excellent and appealing and the world will bow down before him and exalt him for who he is. That day has not yet come. Oh, I wish that it would. We pray that it will come, but that day, although it may be before this day is out, as of yet, this time has not come. Here he says, he will be excellent appealing. Verse number three says, and it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. <coughs> Excuse me. We find here that there's coming a day that those who are left in Jerusalem, those who have escaped the judgment, will recognize the blessings and power of God upon them. Here in this passage of Scripture, Isaiah, he invokes wording and language from the Pentateuch, from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And he really uses Exodus language, dealing with the, the flaming fire by night and the cloud of smoke by day. And he is showing back the blessings of God that had his hand of direction and divine intervention upon their life. And he said, listen, that is what's going to happen. Those who survive the, the judgment of God, and I'm not going to get into um, eschatology teaching tonight, although we may do that at some point. If you study end time prophecy and you study the 70th week of Daniel and you look at prophecy, you find that the tribulation period, although God in this, this 70th week of Daniel, although it is meant for the world, God does judge the world, that, but the reality of it is that the focus of this is upon the nation of Israel. And for me, I believe that to, to properly understand prophecy, end time prophecy, 
the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, you must understand that God is doing this, that he might work and purge Israel once and for all so that they are a people who finally turn away from themselves and turn to God in finality. Here we say that in that time, those who have left, those who have remained, those who have passed through the judgment, who have called upon the Lord, the Bible says they'll be called holy. They'll be called holy. They will recognize that Jesus Christ is the one. They are purged and purged the blood of Jerusalem from their midst. That God will wipe away the sin and the filth that is invoked in their minds and turn their hearts back towards their creator. The Bible says God will be as a cloud and smoke by day and shining flame by night. He'll be a covering for them. We find here in this scripture that there will come a day when God once again begins to interact and work with them in a way that he is their guide and they turn back to him. You say, Pastor, what does this have to do with us? This is dealing with the nation of Israel. I understand that, all right? I understand that this context is dealing specifically with Judah and Jerusalem. However, for a moment, I want to maybe look at this thought that we understand that just as when Israel is purged and repent and turn back to God, God turns his judgment to favor and the darkness into light and God begins to work in their lives. What we find in Scripture is the principle that just as God is this way with Israel, he is also this way with you and I. Do you believe that? God looks at our lives and sin, even as Christians, even as children of God, even as believers who claim to know him and to seek after him. If we're not careful, we can allow sin to grip our lives and to hinder our relationship with the Lord. Have you ever went to God in prayer and felt like you couldn't pray? Have you ever felt the need to pray and bowed your head, but because of sin in your life or your heart, you just felt like you couldn't even let the words come off of your lips? Have you ever felt unworthy to stand before God? Have you ever been to a place where you've been so beaten down and broken by circumstances of life that you feel like that you cannot even approach God? It's not a good place to be. But I've been there. I've been called upon to pray for someone. And I bow my head and my heart is so broken that the words just fail me. I've wanted to pray before and as I go to pray to God in a time of need, that Holy Spirit, that still small voice in my heart begins to bring up sin in my life. And I can't even pray until I repent. Because I know I have offended a holy, righteous God. And there's enmity between me and him because my sin has come between me and my father. David 
also felt the same way. I'm in company with men like David. Who went to pray and said, but Lord, my sin is ever before me. And he must repent. We find that Israel finally come to a place where God breaks him and they turn back to him. They say, Lord, we will reject our religion. God, we will reject ourselves. We will reject our self-righteousness. There will come a point in time when those who remain say, listen, we will turn to God once and for all. You know what God wants for me and you? True repentance. True repentance. Repentance that says, listen, I'm done with myself. I'm done with my own way. I'm done trying to do it on my own. God, sin is bothering me. Lord, it offends you. It has come between me and thee. God, remove the sin from my life so that I may have a relationship with you. We find that's what Israel finally does. And if that was the end of the story, we'd be in trouble. But see, something happens. We go immediately from verse number one to women calling out, saying, listen, just let us be called by your name. Seven women to one man. Just to remove the reproach from our lives. Total humility. And when they find that, verse number two says, In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. See, I believe that God, a holy, righteous God, He desires to work in our lives, He desires to shine upon us with favor. He desires that he might do something in our lives that might be beautiful, that might bring honor and glory to himself. But we have to come to a place where we say, God, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm abased before you. God, would you take away my reproach? We've talked about revival, and I'm going to keep talking about revival because I believe we need revival. Don't you? I want revival, don't you? But to have it will require that we get honest with God. You know what's keeping most people in Israel and Jerusalem from turning to Christ. Religion. Works. Their own righteous deeds. They think they're okay because they are do the outward expressions of religion. And there must be a point where we come to where we say, Lord, it's not about what I can do. It's about what you've already done. Lord, my life is in your hands. Lord, my life is in your hands. 
Lord, lead my life, guide my life. And when we do that, then Christ becomes exalted in our life. He'll be the cloud of smoke by day and the shining flame by night. Wouldn't you like for, there's really, and I could get uh, distracted on this and spend a good bit of time, and I'm not going to tonight, but you understand that when Israel was in the wilderness, they were in the middle of a desert with no shade, with the sun beating upon their backs, and that cloud provided shade. It provided comfort. In the night, although they were in the desert, at night the tempests could plunge. And if you've ever lived in a desert, you know that it can be hot during the day, but it can get really cold at night. I grew up in Rollins, Wyoming. My dad was a chaplain at the Wyoming State Penitentiary. And uh, we lived right there next to the Red Desert. And um, during the summer, it was not uncommon for it to get 90 degrees sometimes during the summer in Wyoming of all places. But even in the heat of the summer, at night it could still drop down in the 20s and 30s. And so here we have Israel, hot during the day. God provides shade and guidance. Then as it's cool that night, God became a flaming fire to them, both to guide them but also to provide heat and warmth. It says, and there will be a tabernacle, verse number six, for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from storm and rain. Just a place of refuge. Have you ever needed a refuge in your heart? Have you ever been to a place where you have just taken all that you can take? You've taken all the verbal abuse. You've taken all the emotional abuse, maybe even the physical abuse. You've taken all of the sickness. You've taken all the blows that life has to offer. And you're just beat down and you need a refuge. Jesus said That when Christ becomes beautiful and glorious, that he becomes our refuge. He becomes our comfort. He becomes our shelter from the storms and the rain. Jesus Christ is our refuge. This evening... What a great reminder that in spite of how bad life can get, and in chapter 3, Babylon has destroyed, brought judgment upon Jerusalem and Judah. Things look gloomy and dim. It seems like chapter 3, there is no hope, there is no future for Israel. 20, verse 24, chapter 3 says, instead of a sweet smell, there'll be stench. We talked about that last week. It seems like things are as bad as they can get. 
But when they humble themselves and come to God, what we find is that God turns their captivity once again. And God becomes their refuge. Do you need a refuge tonight? Do you need a refuge? Our homes, our communities, they need a refuge. It'll only happen when Christ is exalted. When he is uplifted, when he is praised, when once again he becomes beautiful and glorious. Now it seems like this would be awful easy for Israel to do. How could God not be beautiful and glorious in their eyes? Look at the way he brought them out of Egypt. With the signs, the wonders, the plagues. The parting of the Red Sea. The manna, the quail, the water from the rock, the parting of the Jordan. The destruction of the giants of Canaan. The tearing down of great cities like Jericho. Defeating of giants like Goliath. How could God not be glorious and beautiful to them? How could they not love and praise him? And yet that's exactly what happened. And as preposterous as this sounds, I want to ask tonight, has God lost his beauty in your heart? Have you lost the wonder of your salvation? Have you become so complacent in your Christian life that you have taken for granted all the works of God on your behalf. How could we? How could we do, think of anything but beautiful and glorious of a Savior who laid down his life willingly and died in our place? Yet we do. Because we have taken our eyes off of him and placed our eyes upon ourselves, our own problems. Tonight, God wants to renew. God wants to revive us again. But in order for revival to happen, we must humble ourselves before him. We must praise him and exalt him for who he is. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you might speak to our hearts. Lord, may you cause each of us to, Lord, become aware of sin in our life. Lord, to become aware of anything that stands between us and your favor. 
And God, if there is any sin, Lord, or any acts and deeds of the body or the mind, Lord, that I'm partaking of, Lord, that are hindering your blessings and work in my life. God, I ask that you might reveal it to me. Then, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may you remove it from my life. God, may I never forget just who you are. Lord, may I never take for granted the glories and the wonder of my salvation. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.